Colin's Last Stand Knockback is brought to you by, well, you. Knockback, in addition to the interview podcast series Fireside Chats and the weekly YouTube show dedicated to video games called SideQuest, is fan-funded over at patreon.com slash Stand. and without you, none of these shows would exist. If you like Knockback or any of what Colin's Last Stand does, please consider going to Patreon and showing your support. You can even get cool perks in return, like early access to shows, the ability to vote on future show topics, exclusive Q&As, and much more. Thank you for believing in Colin's Last Stand. Now, on to the show. Greetings and salutations. Welcome back to Colin's Last Stand Knockback. My name is Colin Moriarty. As always, I'm joined by my brother, Dagan Moriarty. What a horrible afternoon to have a curse. I know, it is a horrible afternoon to have a curse. It is It is almost afternoon while we're recording this mm-hmm. on Day Unknown. You won't, obviously, out there, listener, know what day it is. It doesn't matter. Because you're listening to this whenever you want, because that's kind of the idea behind Knockback, by the way, is to have this this evergreen content, this podcasting content that isn't contingent at all on what's going on right now, which I think is... I like that. I think it's the beauty of any sort of retro-themed podcast, whether it's in television or games or, or movies, these these podcasts that exhaustively go through the entire catalog of like the West Wing and yes. stuff like that. I think that's really cool. Plug and play. It's, we are the Konami version of a podcast. Yes. Which, Jackal. We're the jackal of podcasts, <laughs> which of course means we're going to die and uh, everyone's going to hate us eventually. Uh, Dagan, today's episode is one that I think is near and dear to our hearts because uh, it's for our, I think our universally our favorite console, which is the NES. Yes. Um, the Nintendo Entertainment System. And we're putting these up in a certain order, I think, in which we have already aired the uh, Nintendo ranking of uh, the consoles and the handhelds episode that shows how we kind of feel about the entire catalog of those of that hardware from NES all the way through to... Wii U, I guess. We, we did leave Switch off of that list. But this goes back to our wheelhouse and, and lets us kind of explore a console that we really love. And I think in the future, we could do an episode about NES games that we absolutely adore and love. And I think that that would be a lot of fun, too. Yeah, that would be cool. And in a way, this is that episode. Yeah. Uh, because we are going to talk about games that we love and adore, but it's yeah. through the lens of games that we feel are underrated or underappreciated in some way. Yeah. And so I've compiled a list of 11 games that I, I think oh, I can discuss here. Nice list. It was 10 originally, obviously. That's a uh, nice round number. And then I forgot yeah. a fundamental one that we uh, put on the list. I like that. And I don't know that we'd even get to all of them. All right. Because I want to see where the conversation goes. Okay. But I kind of want to bounce off of you. Mm-hmm. What what do you define as underrated? I guess we should probably frame this for the audience. Yeah. This is a, this is a tough one. First of all, just a quick thought as an aside. Can we just agree that... The NES and the SNES are equal. They're both the best. Uh, I can't decide which one. You're, you're I, really uncom- you're uncomfortable with it. I just it, they're just I just love them both. Can't we just love them both? I mean, I'm not saying I don't love them both. No, but like, of course. But like, it's as if you have multiple children. Of course, you love one more oh, than the other. I I can't pick one. Maybe it is like I don't know. You so let's just I just want to put that out there. Let's, I don't know which one I love better. Let's be honest. Every parent has a favorite. That's and, I'm not going to be honest about that. <laughs> I almost what? Wait, what? But uh. No, right. I, I mean, dude, the SNES is great. And we can have, a, I think, a riveting conversation about that in the oh, future, yeah. about SNES uh, games that are underrated. It, it deserves that. Because that catalog's a little more unwieldy in a way, but also kind of tighter in the sense that it was a, it was, it was just relevant for fewer years. So, you know, oh, from, yeah, from, from 1990, 1991 to like 95, 96 yeah. is a tighter frame than really 1983. Famicom. Until 1994. Sure. Um, in which there are lots of games that no, are buried. No, you're right. And what I love about this list, and I think we're going to get into it, Dagan, is that some of these games are from my childhood or our childhood. 
But some of these games were not games I was even introduced to until college. Yeah. And one of them in particular, actually, I was at IGN when I had a PSP. Like I said in another episode, I had an NES emulator with all of the games on my PSP, my, my like jailbroken PSP. Or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, which was awesome. That's right. I remember that. So I had two PSPs because one like had them remain in stasis like you couldn't update it. And then you could do all sorts of fucked up, <laughs> you know, sinister <laughs> shit with it. And then the uh, the other one obviously had all the updates. So I, I did buy two of those 80 million PSPs. But how did you kind of frame your list? Do you have yeah. games that are written down or do you just want to uh, kind sure. of... Sure. Yeah, I have to, I have games that are written down in various categories. If it, The first thing that really occurred to me while I was making the list was that for for really big nerds like us and a lot of the listeners I know, it's sort of divided into two categories, an A and a B. One, I think, are the games that were initially underrated when we were growing up. Sure. And one of the ones that... One is the one that the games that actually stayed even maybe underrated, even through the James Rolfs and Pat Contries and all the exposure that certain games got and the light that got shed on the games. Some of the games still fall through the cracks. So I think that there's almost like a pre-retro YouTube underrated and an even now modern age underrated, sure. Sure, because so to speak. You're right because it's, I, I'm always so fascinated when I, you know, when I went through and looked at some of these games and was just reading about them yeah. that I wanted to talk about today. Specifically, I didn't even research or look at anything about six or seven of these games because I can talk about them pretty authoritatively. But there were a few games where I'm like, I'm not sure what the date was on this, and right? I'm not really. And you go on YouTube and look at videos, and you know, James Rolfer, one of these big webs, you know, one, like five hundred thousand, one million views on some of these things for these really obscure games, and I'm like, well, maybe it's not so obscure anymore. But I want to start digging with a game that I, I don't know if this will be on your list. Okay. I know it's a game that is very near and dear to your heart. And I think it's the epitome of underrated. And some people are going to have an issue with this because of the franchise that it comes from. All right. I'm excited to but hear this. But I think that it's – I really do think that this is the poster child of people being really hard on something for no reason. And the okay. game is Super Mario Brothers 2. Oh, God. Now – I'm so glad you started with this. Now – and, and this, is, this is where I wanted to start because – Okay. In some ways, there's a revisionist history about this where everyone always pretended that they always loved it and stuff like that. But there's also this thing, this 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 current undercurrent in games today still, that this is the bastardized, not real Mario game. And therefore, it can't possibly be a good Mario game. I hate that. And I don't think... Listen, I think that out of the three NES Mario games in the core series, there are other Mario games, obviously. Mario's missing, for instance. I'm not counting those. Out of the three, you know, Super Mario Brothers, Super Mario Brothers 2, and Super Mario Brothers 3, I think Mario 2 is the weakest okay. of the three and the least important of the I three. I can understand that perspective. And obviously, I don't want to get into the whole history. Yes, it is a reskinned Japanese version of a Japanese game, Doki Doki Panic, that was really developed for like some TV show and all the shit. And I understand all of that. And it was released because Super Mario Brothers, you know, the real Super Mario Brothers 2, which is what we would know as Lost Levels, was too hard and too the, too much the same and people have to look at it through the the you know through kind of the notion that sequels were really changing a lot at that time whether you're looking at Mega Man 2 which was really quite fundamentally different from Mega Man but moreover Castlevania 2 and Zelda 2 and all these games that were different so Super Mario Brothers 2 is a fantastic game and and I feel like if we just never knew as a culture that this was actually the case with this game yeah then I think we would look at it totally different absolutely I think you're absolutely right this is one of my first of all Super Mario Brothers 2 I'm one of those guys I'm not alone in this I know there's a contingent of people that feel this way retro gamers that feel this way Super Mario 2 is not only one of my favorite NES games it's one of my favorite games of all time there is such a delightful I don't know there's a lightness about it it's colorful 
it's just, that's a game that makes me, even though it's pretty difficult, it's not difficult after you play it and beat it time and time again, but at, initially that's a pretty difficult game. But for me, that's almost a, a plug and play type game in the sense of like a Jackal or a Contra or a Life Force. I love to put that game in and just play it. Sometimes I'll use the warps, sometimes I won't. But yeah, there's. I love the fact that that Mario game feels different than the others. I love that it's not Bowser this time; it's Wart. I love that it's a depart. You could choose from the four different characters, and they have their, you know, perks, their pros and their cons. I really, really enjoy that game. I there's something so special to me about that game, and also I think I do acknowledge that Mar- SMB three is the best Mario game on the NES. It's how can you deny that game? It's so big and it pushed the limits of what the console could do. It's an amazing game. But you know what the weird thing about Super Mario Brothers 3 is for me? That game makes me actually nervous because I know that when I sit down to play it, I have to get all the way through. I can't save it. That game always resonated really even today like it gives me it gives me like an ulcer that game. Like it makes me it actually makes me anxious because I know I can't save it. You know, if that, if I'll, I'll put it to you this way. I don't know if um, anybody's ever said it like this way before. If Super Mario Brothers 3 had a battery in it, I might choose it over Super Mario Brothers 2. The fact that you, you can't save that game and it's so tremendous is such, it was such a misstep for me that I can't, I can't, it's still, even when I play it with my son, I want to show him all these great games and he knows the game or playing it on the Wii Virtual Console or whatever, even if we don't plug the, you know, we don't pop the card, the card in. I don't want to. I don't really want to get involved with it because I know I can't save it. What if I can't spend four hours and get all the way through right, it? Right, right. You know what I mean. I know there's the warp whistle thing and everything, but yeah, for me, Super Mario Brothers Two. I'm a big proponent of that. I love that game. I I just I think it's so fun, and you know I love the mechanic of of you know picking things up, pulling the plants out of the ground, picking enemies up, throwing them. I just it, I just think it's so much fun. I don't know why it doesn't get more love. Yeah, it's I, some love. It, I mean, it gets love. I mean, I'm not. That's kind of the thing where I was talking about through a relative lens when we talk about these different games and things being underrated. There are some games where I think that gets shit on, yeah, like absolutely shit upon that I don't understand. And we're gonna get and those are and from some big franchises, not, and we're gonna get into that. But and so this is a game that I think, uh, at least on my list, has the most acclaim. But I still feel like it's the bastard child of the franchise, definitely is, and looked at as this other game and this not real or this disingenuous somehow Mario game. And that's a problem for me because we just didn't know that as kids. So what does it matter if ten years or fifteen years later, when you're on the internet, you realize that this is a reskin game that they gave us because they didn't think we can fucking handle it? Right. And, that's true. And I understand that, and that's kind of played up too. I don't know that that. I don't know that the difficulty level for Western audiences. I think that was played up a little bit. I really Maybe. think it was. A, I think a lot of it was that Super Mario Brothers Two, again, what we would know as the Lost Levels, is something that is exactly the same. As, yeah, that really is like World Nine One and onward for the original Mario. So I think it was just the same. Yeah, and not, I think North that American was their audiences would have felt that. Yeah, way. I think They're it's just, just oh, this is the same thing. <laughs> I think that was the fear. Yeah. So I think that like this whole thing of like they didn't think we can cut it kind of thing. I think that's a little bit kind of out of context. But I like first of all, it's a it's a class based Mario game, which is really funny yeah. to me. And you know, I'm a big Toad proponent. I, I love, love Toad. Toad. And that game, he's how can you use anybody else? Yeah, I agree. I, I always get confused. I mean, Luigi's unusable to me, and then and then you know, obviously you want to use Peach at some. You know, she has an advantage in some points. Of the, you know, if you want to die. And yeah, die and it's fun to kind of hover. 
I love the uh, the sometimes frustrating gambling game with the coins that everyone had their own technique for. Yeah, that definitely none of them have really seemed to work very well. <laughs> I um, think I know how to do it actually, but I can't explain it. It's just one of those things that you just have to. You just have that muscle. You just memory. have to do. Yeah. And I and, and Wart I think is a huge part of it too. And again, again, a creature and a character that doesn't really fit in Mario Lore and has not really been explored as far as I know in in many other games. He's and, never been in anything else, right? And I really think, and I've said this before, that I think in Smash Brothers they missed, especially the one on Wii U, they missed, and obviously Brawl and all of them really, they missed this opportunity to include two characters that I think would have been awesome. Yeah. One is Wily, Dr. Wily, which yeah. I think could have fought like Pokemon Trainer. I think that would have been really That's cool. That's easy. And then the other one is Wart, which I, I don't understand like why they... Why wouldn't you put Wart in the game? The only thing I could think of that we haven't seen any Wart, like a Wart Amiibo or anything like that, or Wart, like you said, in Smash. It, I, and that, you may know this, the audience, somebody in the audience may know this. In Doki Doki Panic, I never played that Japanese, the Famicom Disk System version of that game. I wish I had. Is he the boss in Doki Doki Panic? I don't know. Because I, I, if, he, he, if he belongs to that, I can understand why you can't really put him into a... I don't know. Maybe. I mean, you could actually release him. Who cares? It's, an, it's still a Nintendo property, right? So the the, quite, the, the the thing is that I don't know the answer to that. Okay. And my theory is that I don't know that it matters in the sense that they did add like a cinematic almost to the game. I mean, the ending and the like when you're in like that we find out Mario sleeping and yeah. all these kinds of things. Uh, and best dreaming. ending ever. Those that was uniquely made for the game. So and I, I again, I, I guess I've never really cared enough to go and look at a, the ending of Doki Doki Panic and Sila and just put them th- side by yeah, side. I want to know about that. They man. they could theoretically just be the same, you know, or a similar kind of thing. But you're right. Does it matter? Added. No, and I don't Still think it Nintendo. matters. I do think that Doki Doki Panic was somehow tied into another license. I think it was too. So that could be that could be an issue. Maybe, but. There has to be some sort of language in the in in in, in, de- in the dealings with these two companies or whoever was involved in it, saying you yes. know if Wart if, if Mario is fighting Wart then he must pa- be part of this universe right and the game has been re released a million times right so it's not like they've they've made any ch- you know they did make some alterations when they released it on like you know uh, Super Mario Brothers two was released on Game Boy Advance as Super Mario Advance which was a which was a great game and. They added some little extra perks, like almost like the Yoshi coins in Super Mario World and stuff like that. What a cool character! I love him. I'm gonna go draw him later. Yeah, he's, he's, he's he, a, he could throw bubbles if he was in dude, Smash. All he the could bo- throw veggies. All the, all the bosses are great. Oh, they they are. They that, definitely that, are. Like like Mauser and he's and, iconic. And uh, tri, what? Triclide. Triclide. Yeah, and uh, Fry Claw Guy. Lip. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're, Claw they're, Lip. Yeah. <laughs> they're cool characters. And what they're I like, great. What I like about the boss fights in that game is that they're they're one of those boss fights. They keep going. And you kind of have this opportunity to not enter the frame and think about it and yeah. to like look at what you have, whether you have those like steel mushrooms or anything like that to like build a wall or you can be really aggressive. It's not totally unlike many other games, but there's lots of ways you can go about beating the bosses and beating the stages. Yeah. And- Just the mechanic of being able to like the triclide fight, being able to form a barricade with the stools and then throw them one by one. It's so much fun. I don't know why people it doesn't resonate more with people. I, I, I'll put it to you this way. The cover of Nintendo, the first Nintendo Power magazine, I believe, right with Super Mario, the yeah, like clay, the clay, the clay. Yep. that joy that that cover gives me just frames the way that game in general makes me feel. You know, it's just pure fun, pure fun. It's a it's a great game, and I I like how some of the characters seem to have entered in some way the Mario lexicon in terms of, you know, like Birdo, Shy Guy and stuff like these are characters that are introduced in Mario 2 and really only are in Mario 2 for a long time. Right. And then you find them in now in these games. So I think that kind of actually answers your question in a way. Like if aren't some of these characters like drivers in Mario Kart games and stuff like that? If that's the case, then where is Wart? Right. Where is Wart? 
It's just kind of weird. And I, I, I feel like if, I wonder if it's because Wart really isn't in the game until no, the end. The very so, end. And that fight, by the way, is iconic to me with the trumpets, like the horns oh, with the vegetables flying it's out. It's so good. It's really great. And but maybe shoving the vegetables down his throat. Yeah, it's awesome. <laughs> it's so great. And I wonder if that if that has something to do with the two, where he's just not iconic enough because a lot of people, you know, people say they've played things and done things and they really haven't. And yeah, and, and Wart might be a, a kind of a casualty of that. You know, I'm gonna do a Wart T-shirt. I think you should. I mean, I'd love to see your take on Wart. You have you have a take on all these other characters. He's so much fun. He doesn't he have like a gold chain around his neck. Yeah, or he's got the king robe on. Yeah. I don't think he has a crown. You know, he looks like a very frog like. You know, yeah, he's great. He's great. Great design. Do you want to throw a game into the mix? Well, that's a that's a that's a big one to that's a hard one to follow. I'm so glad you started with that one though. Um, well, I did want to start with the big ones first, okay, and then work our way more into obscurity. Okay, otherwise, that's good, I think we're burying the lead a little bit. That's a good way to do it. I think that's a good way to do it. In that case, I think to do it, and I think this is a game that maybe was initially underrated. It was certainly off my radar as a kid, and I, I'd like to you to speak to this as well. The Guardian Legend. Yeah, great game. Great game. I had no idea about this game as a kid. And like we said in past episodes talking talking about NES, it was all, of course, as we know, was all subjugated and relegated to what we were exposed to. If we had it, if our friends had it, if our grandma bought it for us for Christmas or whatever, or if it was at our local video store too. If it wasn't part of that, you know, sort of pyramid, then it wasn't it wasn't on our radar. Maybe we caught a glimpse of it in Nintendo Power. That doesn't mean we had a we had a couple of screenshots a blurb or two, you know. So this game was one of those for me. And I think this is one of the ones I heard about early on, really kind of tuning into YouTube and hearing what some of the experts and retro collectors had to say about games and which ones to pick up. And the Guardian Legend was like, oh my gosh, just looking at it, looking at footage and hearing what people had to say about it, I was like, how did I miss this game? It's like one of those games that seems very ambitious it seemed really ahead of its time so and initially it's funny because when i initially when i started to learn about it i was like you know i look at the game box or the cart and say broderbund oh my no like how can this be good this is the people that made deadly towers right. which, shitty towers shitty towers who was who that was um sean baby sean baby that's yeah. right so and that game i cannot say enough Bet. I mean, there's only there's one game I hate more than Deadly Towers, and it's and it's the other game. The <laughs> the first two games that I bought is Athena, there, and that's probably because James Ralph never covered Athena. That I cannot say that game is the most broken piece of shit I've ever seen. I'm still angry about Athena, and quote unquote, you know. Also, P.S. by SNK, the people that brought us to Neo Geo. Yeah. <laughs> like, how can this be? It's upside down world with Broderbund it's and very SNK in this regard. Very strange. But Broderbund, as I found out later, is just the pr- people that published it in the United States. It was published by IRAM in Japan, who are the people that brought us Metal Storm. Right. And, and but Kung it was Fu. actually developed by Compile. <laughs> okay. Which was a big Japanese developer that brought us a lot of like legendary games. Yeah, especially later. Especially in the, NES, in, the, in the Super Famicom era, right? They made and, a bunch of shit. And in the NES era, and I can't talk to this game because I don't own it and I never played it. But I know a lot of people would say it's maybe the greatest NES game, a late release, Gunnack. I never played it. It's supposed to be an amazing shooter, really almost, almost SNES level shooter that they just for whatever and not and not a Konami game, you know. So. For whatever reason, Gunnack, I want to get back. That's one of the games I want to get back to later because I want to have an opportunity to play that game. I don't own it. But, um, yeah, I would say the Guardian Legend, it has, 
you know, it has a vertically, you know, it's divide the game's divided into two modes. It has a vertical, you know, vertically scrolling shooter stage where, you know, similar to like, you know, think think Life Force, you know, on the vertical side. And then a very almost Fester's Quest style, top-down, isometric E shooter. So think think like Blaster Master or Fester's Quest. And the game's divided into those two things. It it involves some action and adventure elements, also some, you know, some Zelda-ish elements in that you have to find things. What a wonderful game. I actually haven't beaten it. I haven't gotten that far into it. But that's one of those games you could just look back and appreciate. You see the re- when it was released, how far ahead of its time it was, the amount of quality put into it. Because a lot of, as we know, the NES had a lot of crap that was just sh- kind of shoveled out there. Like, how did this get the seal of quality type thing? We all know those games, and we'll get to some of those. But yeah, I would say my top one that's now, I think, generally appreciated is the Guardian Legend. And by the way, still cheap to buy. I guess it was a fairly common title. I guess they made enough of copies of this thing. But still, if you haven't played this game, that might be on the very top of my list for underrated. Less underrated now, but certainly underrated. I think it would be hard to argue as we were growing up. Yeah, I agree. It wasn't a game I ever even heard of until... You know, I was probably in high school or college when I was even familiarized. You know, when you're familiarizing yourself through the power of the internet with uh, all of the things you missed and going on eBay and just finding games that were so cheap to buy and stuff. And I would, I could see the box art in my mind. And I think that was part of it. I don't think the box art is especially glamorous, which was a huge problem for games. And yeah, it's it is one of those well, it is it is one of those games that over time, like people back then with like with any of these games knew that it was great, but it just didn't proliferate in some way, at least in our circle, right? So again, right. that's all. That's the context that I need. I think we need to continue to hammer as we do this episode is that this might have been a big game for you but certainly not in our our circle they didn't have a strong ip to tie to i think that should be said too if you didn't have a strong ip tied to it i think it was i think they found these companies did find especially in north america they found it hard to market these things you know because it was just it's almost like take our word for it this is an awesome game just give it a shot right but they didn't have a foundation to kind of Oh, at least they didn't feel like they had a foundation to stand that on. Right, right. So, and with the expensive games, fifty or sixty dollars in nineteen ninety, for instance, it's yeah. a lot of money to spend on something you don't know about. When the only information you're really getting might be from kids on the you know on the playground yeah. or uh, playground Nintendo Power, which is owned by Nintendo and you can't really trust. So, although we didn't really know that at the time either, we didn't have the internet and we didn't have the exposure to to different voices. So such that was big, that was a limiting factor. Yeah, it's such a big part of this. The game I want to discuss next is the one that I'm most frustrated about. That still annoys me to this day. I get so fucking angry when I when people shit on this game because I just think they're dumb for doing it. And it's Castlevania II: Simon's Quest. This game is denigrated to such a huge degree. It really is. And I do not understand why. <laughs> like, I literally don't get what you people don't see in this game as being great. Now, again, again, similar to the Mario trilogy, I would say Simon's Quest is probably the weakest and least important in some respect out of the three on, on NES. Castlevania, the original Castlevania is super easy if you know how to play it, and you can beat it in literally 20 minutes, but it's awesome. And it's gothic, and it's stylish, and it's it's super influential in the music and music, and all, uh, all of it. Can't say enough. And Castlevania Three is is probably one of the best three games on NES overall, and everyone yeah, knows that. I would so, rank it there. So it's it, and that game is extraordinarily hard, extraordinarily long, extraordinarily Big. good. So I'm not saying that it's better than these other Castlevania games. Yeah. What I am saying is Castlevania Two is awesome. Oh, I, and I agree with you. I know that it's got this weird translation issue and i get that yes and i know that the game lies to you which apparently is kind of part of what was supposed to be done in the game but it wasn't really telegraphed properly to western audiences that the 
the townspeople are lying and they're kind of like in on the game and and I like that you know that maybe they're under the curse i figured it out as a 12 year old i mean yeah it's 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 and i know that specifically the poor portion of the game where you have to have the gem attached and kneel down and a tornado <laughs> takes you away i mean that's ridiculous no one figured that out by themselves some very cryptic stuff no one figured no one figured that out by themselves i know that for there's no way yeah i don't think i did actually that's like a nintendo helpline slash nintendo power slash recess lore kind of thing i think that must have been a nintendo power that had to be so that's the one portion of the game where I'm like, no, there's no way. But there's so much in Castlevania 2 that was so far ahead of its time and so influential in what Castlevania would become. It is the original Metroidvania Castlevania game. Yes. And so when people look at Symphony of the Night in 1997 on PS1, one of the great games of all time, you can tie that game very intimately and very clearly back to Castlevania 2. And... That's what frustrates me about it, is that people don't don't see the DNA there at all. Oh, it's, but, it's, but it is what it is. Totally true. And it also had a day-night cycle. It had a huge inventory of weapons and items, some of which you never had to find. The game didn't base itself around boss fights. The boss fights were actually jokes. They weren't even really hard at all. You fall like a crying mask and shit. wasn't about that. No. And the story itself, the game, I, I found the game back then and still to this day, although I'm you know older and I'm not like literally frightened by it anymore, but that game's authentically scary. Oh, yeah. That has a really creepy tone from A to Z, beginning of the game to the very end. There's something about, you know, the Eastern European Transylvanian setting obviously is awesome. You're, you're seeing this this full landscape. And in my in my mind as a kid, being so enamored with Castlevania, the original Castlevania, and then f- playing Castlevania 2, was now we're seeing what's going on around the castle. Now We're not just in the castle yeah. anymore. Now we get to see like what the landscape's like, the yes. forests and the lakes these weird towns full of townspeople that are scared of, and are selling goods like laurels and, and garlic and stuff to ward off these evils that they know are emanating from this castle. And the fundamental idea of the story itself that Simon kills Dracula in the original Castlevania then doesn't do it right, basically. Has to grab... And, and they spread his body parts all over the countryside after they kill him. They then have to go get them all and revive them in the old castle... And then kill him again is so cool. It's great. It's it was so inventive. It was. Re- I mean, give you got to give Konami credit. Castlevania was a hit. To for them to have a you know kind of sculpt a departure and try something different, you got to give them credit for that. That was a that was really taking a risk. That was really an inventive thing to do. And there's so like you said, there's so much. Not even to mention the OST is like one of my favorite. That's one of my favorite soundtracks. It's on awesome. Any period. It's amazing. I mean that that soundtrack propels you through the game. Because you just want to keep listening to it, you know. <laughs> From the password screen on, yeah. it yeah. presents that tone, that tension. I remember, I mean, I wasn't a, I wasn't a baby when that came out. I was 12, 12, 13 years old playing that. And we had, as you you know, we had it, the NES set up in the basement for a long time. And we didn't have a finished basement. It was just like a little area that we partitioned off that, we, you know, we had the couch and the TV stand down there in the NES. And I would be playing it at night. I'd be, I'd be shook. I, you know, it's creepy. That's a properly creepy game, and you can't you can't say enough about the gameplay and the mecha- the mechanics. I know it has that Castlevania heaviness heaviness to it, and the knockback. Hmm. Yeah. Huh? Oh. oh, see what I did there? We unintentionally named the uh, <laughs> named the show after Trevor and Simon getting hit in the pits. <laughs> so, ooh, what is it? So, but yeah, you can I agree with you. I that's one of my favorite NES games. I I love that game. You know. It really bothers me. It yeah. really is one of those things where I'm like, I just how can I make you see? You know, how can I 
rectify this in the minds of gamers around the world that right. this game only looks deficient because of what it stands next to and not because it's in se- it's in itself deficient and i agree with you it's a it was a risk and and people wanted more they wanted to make more they wanted it to be more elaborate re-releasing the same thing over and over again was something that wasn't really something that happened in the NES days when you think about it. It wasn't really until even Mega Man's being released every year and they were literally making those games in like eight or nine months each. They they did insert something into them and they were just really good. So people wanted them, I guess, in that way. But there was this transition away from the originality of the original and then transitioning in the third game, whether it's Zelda or whether it's Castlevania or whether it's Mario, whatever, back to this something that was more tied to the original that was more elaborate and ornate and stuff yeah. like that. But I agree with you in terms of the fear. My Castlevania 2... For its ape aesthetic, it's very primitive aesthetic. I mean, this is a game that was, you know, released in like 1988. For me, I feel like sorry, Lola's barking in the background. If you can hear Holy. it, there's a, a basically something's broken in our house, and uh, <laughs> there's a person here fixing it for us. But uh, yeah, I feel like there's something to this notion that you need to have pretty HD graphics in order to, you know, portray this 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 foreboding. And I think what's so impressive about the Castlevania games, all three of them. And I actually think Castlevania 3 especially excels at this is that with the tools, the limited tools that they, you know, Konami and team had at their at, at their disposal, yeah. they did a really great job of making some of I think of the scariest, creepiest and most atmospheric games. And I think that's perfectly said. I think Simon's Quest is a super atmospheric game and I know that I know that that's weird in in, the, in an era where we in, you know, in the last 10 years we've gotten these amazing atmospheric horror games like, you know, most recently I think Resident Evil 7 was really great. Resident Evil 4, obviously, Dead Space, these kinds of games that are just super atmospheric, even Bioshock and Prey and stuff yeah. like that. Those games are helped by the technologies of today. But being hindered by technologies actually made them rethink things. And I think, you know, some of my favorite scenery, like in the graveyards in Simon's Quest, early on in the lakes, like when you see the forest in the background, the sun shining off of the water, the fishmen are coming out as you're traveling in between towns and mansions yeah. and stuff. There's something about that where I'm like, this game has scope. It does. Yeah, with 8-bit graphics to be able to do that. Limited color palette, limited graphic, you know, capabilities. Yeah, to be able to do that is really and and the music. Just to be able to do that is very special. You're right. One of the definitely one of the most atmospheric of the NES games, for sure. So, I really feel like people, you know, if you're a Castlevania fan or you're just interested in Castlevania as I talked about it, I talk about it a lot and I have for a long time. It's it's so Simon's Quest is so good and I think that you can just see a lot of what was to come in that game a lot of you know i hate the term role-playing elements again i don't like that term per per se but there's a lot of in there there's there's a cryptic experience point system there's a currency system you're buying things you're discovering things there's i always loved like going into the shops later in the game and like this dude is like you have to like break through a wall to get to the dude i'm like how did you even get in here Right. How did you? Yeah, that's yeah. It's one of those things. You like break through a wall, then you have to break through the ground and go down these stairs. Right. There's a guy selling like a dagger, and I'm like, what are you like buried alive? It has all those NES things in there. It's awesome. You know, can't swim. Simon can't swim. All right, you fell in the water. You can't swim. I get it. Yeah. And the day night cycle. I said before another very inventive. It's super inventive. Something that's in lots of games today. I can't say that this is necessarily the first game that had it. I don't know if that's true, but it's certainly the first game I knew of that had it. Where the enemies are actually harder. At night. The enemies are harder. There are new enemies. Yeah. The town shuts down. They're they're full of ghouls now. Everyone's like locked their doors. There's a lot of like storytelling in it. There's a lot you can read into it. There's so much that can be said about. You come into town, it's dark, and now everyone's doors are closed. Now they're now they're it's all scared. Point. They're dealing with the same danger and the same fear that Simon is trying to you know eradicate from the countryside. Yeah, and it translates to the player. You know, we feel that absolutely. And if you look at it through the you know through the whole Castlevania trilogy, 
that's really the end of the run. That's the end of the story because Castlevania Three obviously is a prequel to the original Castlevania. So that right. that really is the the end cap on the story that we are familiar with with Trevor and then his son Simon. So I wanted to throw that too. one in the mix. That's a good one, Kyle. Do you know? Also, wanted to ask you: Did initially did they did Konami go back to the initial format for Castlevania Three because of some kind of um, lashback or because? Simon's Quest didn't do as well as they wanted to. Is that why they reverted back to... Not that Castlevania 3 is much different than Castlevania 1. It's much bigger. But they're the same game. But they're the same. They're very similar, you know, as far as the side-scrolling. It's a, it's more direct. There's not, you know, it's not as, as much crypticness and exploration and all that. Did that? Is that why? I don't, I don't know. I honestly don't know that. Yeah, My good, assumption always was yes. Yeah. I think that they learned, you know, what Castlevania 3 has... I mean, Castlevania 3 is phenomenal. Just a phenomenal Beautiful game. Beautiful game. And there's different branches in it. There are parts of the game you never have to see. There are characters you can recruit and play as, yeah. w- whether it's Grant or Sypha, uh, Alucard. This is the first time Alucard's in any of the games, which yeah. is a mainstay now. That's right. So I don't know if that's for sure true. What yeah. I know is that, well, my assumption is that, because we, we saw it with Link to the Past and we saw it with Mario 3 and stuff, where it seemed like a, we, we can do what we did originally better. And I don't know if it was a re- reaction based on the critical or commercial reception That's of those games. But I do know that, or I mean, you can clearly see that the one thing that they got out of Castlevania 2 that they dragged to Castlevania 3 was scope. I always loved that. I want to say less than half of that game takes place in the castle. You start in like Warakia Village and like you go to the woods and the swamps and these various like abandoned, the clock tower and all of these things that are introduced in Castlevania 3 that yes. actually are, again, mainstays in the rest of the Castlevania games, that they had this, it's a journey. It's not just the the old castle map of the original Castlevania. When you go to the next of the six stages, it would just bring you to, you know, you're in the the, in the chamber, and now you're going to the dungeon and all this kind of stuff. You, in, in Castlevania 3, it was cool because it was like, the castle was far away, and you yeah. were trying to just get you're to getting it getting to it. You're getting to it. Yeah, I like that. I like comparing it. You did a smart thing there by comparing it to Zelda. You know, you draw a line from one to three. Mm-hmm. It's a return to form because we could do this better now. Right, exactly. And the original stage in Castlevania is in Castlevania 3, which I think is cool as hell. That is cool. Yeah. Great so, game. Yeah. I love how how frustrated people get with how hard that game is. It's super hard. It's very difficult. But if you're not a bitch, you can beat it. No. <laughs> <laughs> What's next on your list, Dave? For me, I think it's a collection of games. I have some interesting ones. Yeah, you can um, rattle through a few if you want. Let's see. I think I want to go to a Capcom game Ooh. that I think is I think is underappreciated for a Capcom game in any event. Gunsmoke. Nice. Or, or Gun Dot Smoke, as it's called. There's that little dot in there, and I guess that's because they want. I don't know if they were afraid of a from whatever movie studio owns the movie Gunsmoke. Right. Right. So gun dot smoke. Um, I thought you were gonna say Codename Viper, so I'm glad we went to a different Oh, direction. Codename Viper. That could. I still like that game. That game's great. I still like that game. Anyway, but yeah. So gun smoke, shoot 'em up, a vertically scrolling shoot 'em up, but not with a you know your typical plane spaceship. It's a, actually a cowboy. Feels think Ikari Warriors, but much better and not broken. <laughs> <laughs> so don't think Ikari Warriors. So don't indeed. really think Ikari Warriors. Think of Legend of Kage. But yeah. but not terrible. <laughs> Just really, I can't really say much about the game except that it was off my radar as a kid. I picked it up, you know, probably a few years ago, and it is one of those games that it's a little, it's it's on the difficult side. And I think, oh, I wish I knew, I wish I remembered. I don't want to talk out of turn. It might have limited continues. It might be one of those games with only a few continues. I'm not sure about that. But it, in any event, it is it, it is pretty difficult. But it's a you know it's a vertically scrolling shooter. 
shoot him up shmup. I don't use the term shmup. But, you know, with a cowboy instead of a spaceship, and there's boss fights at the end, there's a mechanic in there where you have to either buy or find a wanted poster in each stage because if you don't find it, the, the game will just keep scrolling infinitely. So in order to get to the boss fight, you have to either purchase, find or purchase the wanted poster, which is kind of an interesting little mechanic. Sure. But just a fun game that I think never really got a lot of love. Doesn't really get a lot of love even today, I feel like. The real avid retro gamer, of course, knows it. But yeah, good game and worth picking up. And like Guardian Legend, pretty inexpensive. You're definitely not going to spend more than $20 for the cart. Yeah, that's that would be the next one on my list as far as, you know. It's Capcom, so I'm not sure how obscure it could, we could really say it is. But sure. obscure certainly for a Capcom game. Well, we're not – also, you know, remember, we're not framing this as obscure. We're yeah. framing this as underrated. Just underrated. And it's funny because Capcom, so prolific from that 1987 to 1992, 1993 era on NES, and then obviously well into the SNES and PS1 era, and they've rebounded recently. They had some dark years in the 2010s or 2000s. But it's it's funny because they their games were hard. The, the, when you when you really think about the the and I'm not talking about just Mega Man games I actually think those are some of the easier Capcom games I would but agree. like Ghosts and Goblins and Codename Viper is a really hard game that and, is a hard and game. honestly some of the Disney games aren't necessarily hard but just really obtuse and I I kind of forgot about that until I started playing the Disney collect afternoon you know Disney Saturday morning afternoon you know, I gotta pick that up I, I, I want to pick something that I call up. the Disney Saturday morning afternoon collection I don't know where the fuck I got that from. <laughs> Um, but, uh, one of the, you know what I'm talking about? I do indeed. And when I was playing some of those, I was playing, I, I, I forget, you know, we only really, you and I really only connected in, in, out of all of those games with DuckTales, which is a game I can beat with my eyes closed. But the other games on there, I remember renting or, you know, playing Darkwing Duck and all this like yeah. weird Mickey Mascapade. I'll get to that game later. Oh man. That's a weird one. Cause it wasn't developed by Capcom. Right. So, but Nonetheless, I think that that Gunsmoke's difficulty, I think, fits in or kind of its arc fits in with what Capcom was trying to do, I think. I don't think anything gets more difficult than Ghosts and Goblins, but... Ugh, that game um, is so hard. I mean, it's ridiculous. It's that totally game, fucking ridiculous. That game is so ridiculous. That game and Battletoads, uh, th those two games, it, it, it was ridiculous. I don't think there's any other games on NES that I find, like, that I couldn't beat. Those two games are like... Battletoads is hard. I mean, Battletoads, oh I, I, I can't... I, still I couldn't can't get it. I was so frustrated with that game. Before we... Before we jump back into obscurity, because there are a bunch of obscure games I want to talk about that I think are underrated that I would like to put on people's radar, I do want to touch on two more games that okay. that people know but that I think are, are criminally underrated, and, and that's Zelda 2 and Mega Man 6. Zelda 2, again, I don't... Now, this is a different approach than I think I would take with the original Zelda, and I know that this is kind of blasphemous with a lot of people. You could make the argument. Now, I'm not necessarily making it. I might make it one day. Okay. You could make the argument that Zelda 2 is better than the original Zelda. Okay. That's how strongly I feel about the denigration, the decades-long denigration. People hate that game. Of Zelda 2. And I don't... Adventures of Link is a wildly different game, and that was by design. That you know Miyamoto and all those guys, they wanted to make a different game, and I respect that. But what's so bad about it? Yeah. That's that's kind of the thing that I I'm like if you're looking for another Zelda I respect that you can play Master Quest on the original Zelda and just get a wholly you know completely reshaken you know board basically just roll the dice again and you play a different Zelda game on the same cart you can do that already absolutely so what's the problem with this game yeah. I I love that it's framed around you know you start with Zelda's body just on it's right know, there and you're and you don't really know what to do it's it's a role playing game it's it's a real role playing game it um, is unlike Zelda, you know, the original Legend of Zelda, which is a is a, an action adventure game really. It's really not a role playing game at all. So, 
there's experience points and there's like there's a there's unpredictability of the, how you're going to encounter enemies and when and you're exploring towns and yeah. talking to townspeople and acquiring goods and the side scrolling nature of the combat I think makes it so much more sound. I'm not saying that that's how I always want to play Zelda. No. I'm not saying that Link to the Past, which reverts on SNES back to the original NES Zelda's kind of archetypes, wasn't a better game because it's awesome and it's certainly better than Zelda 2. Oh my god. But so good. So I'm not saying that I prefer this kind of gameplay. I just like that they've they came up with some solutions, I think, that that shook things up. And I think that game is awesome. Yeah, and took a chance. Yeah. Again. Just like the, you know, Mario 2 and Simon's Quest. They they took a departure. They tried something new. They tried something fun. And they did they did. That's a good point. They took the RPG, the JRPG genre, like the Dragon Quest games, and they they put a little bit of their own thing into it. There's you know, there's weak enemy the you know, the random battle random encounters, but there's weak enemies and strong enemies. You can see which is which. So you could actually steer around the strong enemies and maybe run into a, a weak enemy to get away from the strong enemy, you know. There's one thing that bothers me. I love Zelda too. I love Adventure Link. I I think that's a wonderful game. I think I love the challenge. I love the scope and the length of it. One little thing that feels nitpicky that always bothered me about this game. I don't know if I really thought about articulating it before we were getting ready for this show, for this episode. Link's sprite in the overhead map screen is a friggin' mess. It's a mess. You couldn't just make it look like a little chibi, like, you know, Erdrick from the Dragon Quest games or something? You know what I mean? Or make it bigger? It just, I don't know what the hell they were thinking with that. It looks terrible. You know what I mean? That is the only thing. That is enough to drive me. It's just like so bad. It <laughs> almost looked like they, let, they developed it in Japan and did all the crazy bitching artwork and everything and then let Nintendo of America do that part or something. I don't know. You know, no offense. Some, but you some know, guy in the call center. <laughs> we got to make this slink sprite. You guys want to give it a shot? It feels so, it feels terrible. Yeah, it, it, it's like, it's, it's weird because I don't think that they... What you're really doing in that game is is exploring overworld, the overworld, which is the world map, which is a thing that is in role playing games that we quite understand today and understood when Adventures of Link came out because yeah. Dragon Quest had already been out. And stuff. Yeah, so, exactly. Um, was there any other touch tones besides Dragon Quest at that point, or was that all we had? Oh, Final Fantasy One, right? Did, actually, wait, wait, did Final Fantasy One come out before? No, no, Final Fantasy came out after Dragon Warrior. Okay, and it certainly wasn't out in the states at the time. Actually, in in, in lining up the dates because. I'm looking at my notes. Adventure of the Link was actually 87 on Famicom, 88 in the NES, on the NES. So wow, actually, I don't know. They had context in Japan because that was around the same time Dragon Warrior came out. But we might have actually not had context for it yet. I think because I think Dragon Warrior was 89, 90, 91, 92. Oh, so maybe that like the four of them. So huh? So that could be good point. Um, the case where, it, but that so that was our first exposure, and in that sense. Well, many of the role-playing games, the more pure statistical-based role-playing games that were being played at the time, whether it was Ultima or Shadowgate or something, were first-person and totally weird. I hate those games, and not not because they're bad, but because I just don't want to play games in this, you know, dungeon crawling RPG. I never got into DRPGs. That. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I'm not really into those. Ultima Exodus and all that. But it was kind of like Nintendo's weird interpretation of this this world map situation that yeah was was not well delivered at all from a graphical standpoint. No, but you kind of got it. You got it. You and definitely got it. You latched onto what was going on right away. Right. It was clear. There was clarity. You know. But music's great. Not a, not a ton of it. I love the music. And I love the palace music. Yeah, it's awesome. Oh, it's so good. Yeah, it's just a really satisfying game. And I like that. It's one of the ones, too, with upgrading your character and shit like that, where, you know, with magic and with health and all that kind of stuff, where it gave you... I think more agency over the growth of Link than certainly the original Zelda. And I would definitely say in some respects, Link to the Past even, where it's not just heart growth 
it there, there's more to it than that and and it's more literal with experience i like as that. opposed to finding heart containers you're and, absolutely right or just finding heart containers i should say with Mega Man Six, I, I just wanted to throw it in there really quick because it's such a. I think ninety four is when it came. out. I mean, this is like wow. Did it come out that late? I, in the states, it did, and it was a super late game. It came out after Mega Man X. That's 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 how late it was. So it's Mega amazing. Man X was a was a game changing Super Nintendo game, uh, and Mega Man Six came out later than that. Wow, I and, don't think I realized that. And so I think that it's it's underrated in the sense. I, I still feel a little confused why people look at Mega Man Two as the best Mega Man game on NES. It's fantastic. Great game. And maybe it's a little trite for me because I've beaten it probably literally 500 times. But it's the most influential, <laughs> important game in the series. But they, in many ways, get better. I think Mega Man 3 is the high point for a lot of reasons, mostly because I think it's dark and Rush is cool. And, and they didn't add the, the super shot yet, so it didn't feel broken. Like, yeah. I know, and Inafune himself hated that. And the slide mechanic really makes it some, a lot more fun. Yeah, it's smooth. It causes a lot of slowdown, but it's cool. Yeah, um, that's definitely true. So 4 comes out, and I think, with the exception of 1, which is my least, Mega Man, least favorite Mega Man game on the NES, 4, I think, is probably my second least favorite. I could see that. And 5 is fine. I like how Proto Man's the bad guy and it's weird and but six I feel like people just didn't play or didn't give a shot. And I think it's and I said it in another episode that we recorded, Dagan, but I just feel like it's really amazing that that game even runs on the NES. It's so good. If it you is. just put go to if anyone's curious, just go on YouTube and find a Mega Man one playthrough and go to like Bomb Man stage or Elect Man stage and just pause it. Then on a screen parallel to that, go to like Blizzard Man stage or Flame Man stage or Centaur Man stage and Mega Man 6 and pause it and just look at the games. My son loves that game. He loves it. He's getting really into it. Remind me, Kyle, because I'm getting a little confused, to be honest with you. Five and six, definitely, though. You're right. Five, Mega Man 5 and 6, That those two games squeezed every last drop of capability out of the NES. Yeah, well, Mega Man, dude, Mega Man 5's Gravity Man stage is insane when you're oh, playing the game. So you're cool. playing it upside down. It's like Oh, so that's Mega Man 5. Is Mega Man 6 the one? The the one I'm getting confused between five and six is that the one where Rush turns into the armor? Yeah, and you, okay. and you wear the armor, okay. which I find a little cumbersome and a little annoying, specifically because it slows the game down. Where and I don't mean literal slowdown, I mean like you you would usually go into the menu, just hit start over what you want, and then go yeah. back to the game. But then it has that animation. You could skip that animation, the transforming but, animation, but it takes a second. So it Mega Man's like supposed to be. I play it very fluidly and very fast. The sprite gets so big too. That's impre very impressive. Yeah, it's 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 a really really remarkable game with I think a really bizarre set of character like bosses that yeah. are strange. Yeah. They're really not even coherent. Some of them like Plant Man. Was that the fan? Now, were they doing the thing where the fans were creating all the Well, every masters? one of them since Mega Man 2, all of them were fan-made since Mega Man 2. Only, oh, I, in, every it, one of them? Yeah. In oh, a, I didn't know that. Inafune only made the first six. So, you know, Bomb Man, Cut Man, Ice right. Man, Electric Guts Man, and Fire Man. Those were his. And then they started a contest in Japan only for all the other games. And, oh. and people would design them, and then, they, and then he would redraw them. See, like, I thought they put one in each game. No, no. All, one Robot Master was a fan so creation. So when you beat them, beat the end, every game, they put the name, you know, they say like Quick Man number, whatever, and then right. it's a name underneath. That's the right. person who came up with it. And and so they would just, you know, Inafune and his team would redraw them or take the ideas. Like on Mega Man Legacy Collection, they show, I think, some of the art that they got. And I've seen some of the art that they got for like, you know, this is our interpretation. You know, Snake Man was submitted by this Japanese kid. And they'd be like, "This is Snake a great Man's idea." My but favorite. Yeah, you love him, oh. and, and but they redraw him and, and make him cooler, you know. And uh, Mega Man Six though is the only one with Western robot masters from from oh. Americans and Canadians in them. Oh, I um, didn't know that. So six of them are Japanese. One of them is, I think, Nightman is Canadian from a Canadian kid, and okay. Windman 
is uh, who's basically just airman is an is an american um <laughs> creation so that's that was the difference very interesting there I like that. And I loved that. I loved that they do that. And I actually didn't know that either until later. That And actually, someone dug up one of the kids that won. I think it was Windman or Nightman. I think it was Nightman. Okay. They, they dug up the guy who Nightman's design is awesome. Yeah, he's very with cool. With the shield and like the ball and chain. Very cool looking. And they talked to him and interviewed him. And he's like, yeah, we got all this cool stuff when we won. And like one of the things was he has like a Mega Man 6 like analog clock with nightman like on it like wow. a one-of-a-kind thing that they made for him and i'm that's like these amazing. are fucking cool dude wow. i'd pay good money for some of this shit oh, that's amazing because i don't like to collect things at all but if it's mega man related nes mega man related oh, I'm, I'm gonna be all over it oh and course. my dream still is to find all six of them sealed that would um, be amazing. which i would which i would absolutely buy that would be amazing i would that's spend cost you a little i would bit. spend a few thousand dollars for all six of them like together that's good as that's long as what it's gonna cost yeah. for sure for sure <laughs> yeah absolutely yeah and just get them framed you know that would be cool now that would be cool and then maybe I'll open one on camera and annoy everyone. Oh my gosh, you're gonna kill people. You're gonna give them really hard. <laughs> a attack. sealed copy of Mega Man Two, and I'm just like, <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> I'm glad. I'm really glad you brought up Mega Man Six though, because that game never had time to get any love initially, as as kids. No, they, and and as I mentioned, you know, not to be redundant, it wasn't even published by Capcom. Capcom didn't even believe that. That's right. Gave a fuck. Nintendo published it. Nintendo brought it over. Hey, they wanted to sell a few more units, so and they did. Although I don't know, I, I would always be. They, Japanese numbers are so easy to find. Going back to the '80s, like you can find to the to the digit how many games, uh, how many copies of a game were sold. That's really neat. But but America, because they have that media creator, whatever it's called, that that list that's released every week for that's, years. That's so cool. But they didn't track it like that in the United States. They did. It's just that those numbers are not not readily available. Uh, what what do you want to move on to from here? Because from here we're gonna get into some nitty gritty shit. I just wanted to make sure to get those games out there. I feel like I would have been remiss if I didn't bring up those games. I'm glad you brought those ones up. Yeah, I'll bring up a couple that I think should get some love. I think, for me, another relatively underrated game is from a developer, that an NES-era developer that I really, really like, Hudson Soft. And the game is Adventure Island. Really, rel- really simple side-scrolling platformer game. Difficult. I think it's it's one of those games where you have it's it has an interesting mechanic in that you have to keep collecting fruit and that gives you that's giving you time to complete the level. But it's one of those games where you get one or you you're dead in one or two hits and it's like two or three continues. That's it. Oh, you know what though? You could actually collect us something on the first. Uh, there's a little secret on the first level. You could get something in order to obtain continues, but very difficult because of that very Famicom esque. One, you're dead in one or two hits, which a lot of a lot of some some Famicom games crossed over to Nintendo, you know, crossed over to North America with that mechanic intact. But a lot of them didn't. A lot of them were either didn't come over here or were changed because that one one or two hit death thing was a very Famicom esque thing. Very difficult. And I've played some Famicom games that were ported to North America that were changed. That's changed. Or some of the games didn't even, like I said, didn't even make it over. So Adventure Island, I think, is a really, it's colorful, it's fun. Um, it's super inexpensive to buy as a retro collector. And it's one of those ones that didn't make, really, really generate any, I didn't know about it as a kid. I, li- I like that game a lot. I like the port of Double Dragon for the Nintendo. I'm not, it gets, it gets a fair amount of love. I mean, everybody knows Double Dragon. And, of course, Double Dragon in the arcade was like, that was probably... I always envisioned doing a show where we talk about our most memorable experiences gaming. 
and the end of the end of Double Dragon in the arcade, where you're you're kind of it's a it's side scrolling fighter and you're helping each other get to the end, and then all of a sudden you beat the last boss and then have to fight each other. Yeah. Our minds were, I mean, I can't even tell you. Our minds were like, what's what's happening right now? Like we have to fight each other. We were just like it was like like our minds were completely awesome. blown. We're, awesome. Our minds were blown. So of course the Nintendo port was working with a much you know they, we weren't working with the same resources for an eight bit thing for, but I lo- I really there's a charm to the NES port of Double Dragon that I, Double Dragon one specifically I'm less familiar with two and I know three gets a lot of shit but Double Dragon port NES port I think is really charming and you know what the other game I would put in there for an underappreciated classic is Felix the Cat. Another Hudson Soft game. I believe it was a late release. I don't own it. I actually don't own it. I don't know where I initially played it. Maybe on Nesticle or something like that. Sure. Back in the day. Um, it's expensive. I think it's probably a cart could be upwards of $80 just for the cart right now. $100. So it's in that kind of Metal Storm category. Where it's like, I don't know. Maybe spend $100 for it now before it becomes $200. You know? Maybe I'll have to buy that one. But that's another game. Super fun. Very easy for a Hudson Soft game. They're known to be pretty pretty difficult. Um, and just really cute. Side-scrolling platformer, Felix. You know, you're playing as the classic, of course, classic cartoon character, Felix the Cat. Kind of a weird property. It's a cartoon from the 30s. And then, they, you know, I'm not sure. I guess they did another Felix series in the 50s, maybe. I don't want to talk out of turn, but kind of a weird property. Certainly not on the mind of uh, 80s-era children. Right. Um, maybe <laughs> that's why it didn't do so great. But really a charming game, and Felix has little vehicles at his disposal that he could jump in, and, you know, sort of inventive and fun, very light, and just one of those games that's kind of a delight to play. And then the other games that I was going to get into were just games that I, you know what, for, for whatever reason, I never got a chance to play. Gremlins 2, I never played. It's supposed to be an amazing game. I believe it's a Sunsoft game, right? Yeah, I think so, because they were all up in the licenses. Very impressive graphics. Almost has a Fester's Quest feel to it. it even looks more impressive than that, actually. Fester's Quest, not a huge fan of that game. I keep bringing it up, but it's a Sunsoft game, and it feels like that, I think. And the G.I. Joe games. Yeah, the G.I. Joe, which were made by two different companies, I think. Oh, were they really? I think I think one was by... And I was actually going to bring them up, but I, I was going to save them for the G.I. Joe episode, which we're going to record after this. Yes. I think one of them was by Taxin. Okay, that sounds right. And then I think the other... Uh, I have to look. I don't even have my phone. We'll we'll go over this in the GI Joe. Have you Joe played episode. those? Yeah, both of them. Yeah. Oh, you have. Okay. So I never, for whatever reason, never played them. What I remember about those games is, they're first of all they're fucking cool. Oh, they are. And and, and I don't know, I don't know if the quality is a little dubious. Yeah. And I don't even know if I can tell the two apart. Okay. So that's an important thing. To and it's been years since I played them, but I remember that on Neighbor Avenue in our old in our old neighborhood when we would go back there for some reason if someone was at a party or something like that dad's friend who was like a mason I don't even remember what his name was yeah Jim he had kids that had those G.I. Joe games oh okay and that's what I remember about them that's all I remember oh, about them oh okay and I never had the G.I. Joe games no uh, neither but I think I'll, I'll we'll look into it before we do the G.I. Joe episode but I do think that like they were just two different games from two different studios oh that's interesting and they were like G.I. Joe 1 and G.I. Joe 2 whatever okay. but they, were, they were cool you could play as like different characters and it was I, I think I'm just so into that IP and so into those characters that's interesting were they the side enemies. scrollers yeah okay and like you know you get attacked by like bats and cobra officers and, and you can play like Duke I gotta or Roadblock or whatever. I, gotta, I gotta buy those yeah, I don't know that. I don't know in what regard those games are held. Okay. Yeah, it's interesting. I don't know either. Yeah, you should get those games. Those those games are uh, those games are rad. So just, where did just you want? Where did you want to go? What were you going to talk about? Well, I have a few other other ver- uh, other games here on this list that are way more obscure. We'll oh. start with I think the least of 
the obscure one for us. And I'm curious how you think about how you feel about this one. I think a game that gets shit on a lot that I think is it's actually fundamentally broken. Like you can actually break the game, but is still really interesting and good. And that I have a lot of memories of because I was like, this is so different is a boy in his blob. This is a game that we owned. Actually, we did from Imagineering, which doesn't really exist anymore. They were. But but this is a, a I don't know what David Crane. Yeah, he he developed this. Game. Who was uh you know a really early Atari guy and and did an Activision too and did Pitfall and yeah. all that kind of stuff. The game, the mechanic of the game is that you're a boy who has this mysterious blob creature from space that reacts in different ways to the jelly beans he's fed. And I really, I thought the game was extremely difficult. It's super difficult and really obtuse. Like you really have to, so like so obtuse like you can, is a good word. So you can you can turn the blob into like a, a jack or like a ladder. Or a flamethrower or something like that, or they a blowtorch or something. Yeah, at, yeah, like it's weird, right? Like there's all this weird, very strange. And you like go and you find jelly beans or buy them from a store, and you're like kind of delving into the ground at first and into the subways and stuff, and and you could die really easily. And 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 I think you can break the game. Yes, you can. I actually saw speed run of that game, and the task is like really just to break it. You break the shit out. You could beat it in like twenty seconds. Yeah, I because yeah. in in those old like I, you know like I guess hex editing or whatever it was like the game the game in terms of geography was everything was on top of each other. So it's like, it's kind of like how in the original Mario brothers, not super Mario brothers, but in the arcade Mario brothers, how, if you go, you know, left, you end up on the right side of the screen, something like that. So yeah, good call. Now way forward did a re you know, a reboot of it on Wii, and then it was ported to PS4 and Vita and stuff. And that's when I played it. And it's really good. Oh, they did a good job with it. It's really, really cool. It's really cute, really hard, but not broken. It's like way more thoughtful. It's like, wait, you know, because that was the thing I remember about Boy and His Blob. What I remember being taken aback from, I think, and this is might be the reason why I was so enamored with it, because a lot of the games were that we were playing were fantasy themed or sci-fi or they didn't take place in our world. And I remember when you walk out of the house in the beginning of the game with the blob that there's like a cityscape behind you. And that fascinated me because I I was like, oh, this takes place like maybe in New York or, you know, maybe you know That's t- cool. today somewhere. And that, that kind of in- filled my imagination with shit. But I just wanted to give a shout out to that game because I, I understand why people don't like it. I respect that, but I think it's really underrated and underappreciated. I think that it's really clever. Yes. A lot of the games were doing really different, um, or a lot, I'm sorry, a lot of the same stuff on in the NES era, things that were safe. Boyne's Blob was really a radically different game. Great idea. I'm so glad that I didn't know. I don't know if I forgot or I never knew that they redid that game because that is one. I'm glad you brought this game up. I think that's one of the games that the idea, the premise for it was so clever and cool. You know, here's a little boy. He has a backpack full of jelly beans and a blob. He feeds him the jelly beans and the blob turns into different things so you could access your path through this game. Brilliant. You know, but the just the game itself was such a letdown. So the fact that they redid it well and actually kind of made that idea into something worth playing, is is that's good news. I like that. Yeah, good call. I like that game. I like the idea for the game. I didn't like the game, but. I do have Fester's Quest on here. Okay. Which I know you don't like. I hate it. And I won't, I won't spend too much time on it other than to say that I feel like... I think this game entered the zeitgeist with Angry Video Game Nerd doing his kind of really famous video on it. Yeah. And, and he's done fam- a lot of famous videos on a lot of famous games. But I know that that's when it kind of... That game re-entered the lexicon. And I feel like Fester's Quest is, is another one of those games where I'm like, this is actually a really clever and complicated game. It's that hard. I think is hurt by its really random license that again sunsoft was obsessed with at that time the adams family when fester's quest came out was was dormant and dead for decades 
And it and it re, it was re revived it was revived in the nineties with the new movies that were great with like yeah. Angelica Houston and shit. The show might have been in syndication in the eighties, but it was not, it's not like it was on kids rate or seventies. But it might, and I'm not know if I, I don't know if I'm sure completely sure about that. But it wasn't on kids' minds necessarily. No, and it's it's like what you were saying with Felix or what you know like that Three Stooges game that was fucking terrible. <laughs> I was just thinking about that I hate game that goddamn game. Oh, it's the worst game. Or that Spy versus worst. Spy. Although I guess Spy versus Spy was kind of relevant because of Mad Mad Magazine. Mad Magazine, sure, but. So I just I'm not going to spend too much time on Fester's Quest. I I feel like people should go and look at videos of it. I think that it's it's hard. It's complicated. It's like super item based. You have to have like keys and like all these different guns. He has like a blunderbuss and stuff. The game enters like these weird first person sequences. And that's right. I forgot about that. And like when you go underground and stuff. It's I don't know. I always was kind of like enamored with it in a way. Okay. This is some interesting. I think it was probably because I love Sunsoft Batman so much too and another game that's on this list that I'm going to discuss, not Batman but another Sunsoft game. Maybe that had something to do with it even kind of subconsciously as a kid. Makes sense. Yeah. So, it was difficult. It was difficult. That might have been what turned me off about it. It was a hard game. A game that I want to give a shout out an Irem game that I want to give a shout out to is Kickle Cubicle, which is a really great game. And it's kind of in the mold of Adventures of Lolo in a sense. There are three Adventures of Lolo games, and those games are fucking really difficult. Those are like very static puzzle-based games where you're like basically going through stages. And Kickle Cubicle is a similar thing. It's like this... It's called Kickle Cubicle because you're basically forming ice blocks and kicking them into like place where they need to be so you can kick them into enemies or kick them into holes like you're basically all the ice is over water and you're trying to just collect items and when you collect the last item then the stage just ends so it's it's it, again it's a very adventures of lolo like game and we our neighbors were huge adventures of lolo games which is yeah fans, they had which is why why those games come to mind those are yeah. pretty obscure games but good games though but uh kickle cubicle is just a, a really cute colorful puzzler with some combat elements but you're not really actively fighting it almost reminds me of chips challenge on pc which is a game i really love from the 80s um or early 90s where okay. you're kind of more avoiding enemies than trying to like fight them and so like there are there are ice cube you know when you're kicking an ice cube towards the spring and then it, you have to get out of the way the spring springs it back into an enemy and kills them it's kind of like a really clever colorful silly game that i recommend that people give a look to yeah i gotta try that one myself actually and I wonder how much that card costs. I bet you it's not very expensive. Yeah, that's a. I want to look into that. Speaking of Sunsoft, we were talking about Sunsoft earlier. Journey to Silius, I think, is super underrated. This was a game that I wasn't even exposed to until I was at two until I was at IGN. And so Journey to Silius, for people that are confused of our references to Sunsoft, Sunsoft is a. They still exist today in some capacity, but they were behind like Blaster Master, and they they were behind. Um, I think most notably in the NES era, Batman. Yes. The Batman game, which was fucking awesome, mm, just phenomenal. absolutely phenomenal. The phenomenal tie into the 1989 Batman movie, and. Journey to Silius was supposed to be a Terminator game, and they lost the license while they were developing it. So it's just this kind of an, an, an anonymous character fighting very familiar-looking enemies in a sci-fi setting. The music is phenomenal, yeah. and the gameplay is really tight. It doesn't feel as good to me as Mega Man or Castlevania or Ninja Gaiden and stuff like that. But Very good, though. But really, really special game that I'm really shocked more people don't talk about and don't play. The, the, the music on the first stage in that game is some of the best NES music ever. And I agree. Uh, hands down yeah beautiful it's it's like so 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 and very atmospheric that game yeah really 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 sucks you into the game and tough yeah very hard game i never beat it a few more that i want to talk about uh tmnt 1989 tmnt i feel like this so people have to kind of look at it and glimpse it through again the early turtles days we as a people were obsessed with the arcade Ninja Turtles game. Everyone loved that game. So good. You'd go to ground round and play it while you were waiting for your table and Pick shit. Pick your favorite turtle. Yep. And, go and, to it, it. and it was phenomenal. So good. So when Konami, under the Ultra umbrella, released the original TMNT game, 
which I didn't know until I was reading about it. it came out in Japan first, which was interesting. I didn't know that because oh, Turtles wasn't even that relevant in Japan. Yeah, not at that time. But that so when when we wanted that game and we got it on the NES, yeah. that was that, the game. The arcade port was Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles two, and that's what we all wanted. Yeah, for NES, yeah. So the original TMNT on NES, when people went and bought it or rented it or whatever, they expected to get something like that. Instead, they got this really bizarre game that had this like overworld map and then you would like go into to sewers or in buildings and you would be able to select from the four turtles and fight in the side scrolling kind of fashion and so donatello had the reach with his bow and um, i think raf was considered i think one of the better characters in the game with his size although you had to have, they have like proximity yeah and, and obviously the katanas and stuff and i think because of the reaction i remember as a six or seven year old people being mad at the game yeah they're like what is this right I remember that in like in elementary school and stuff. People being like, "I this is not." I one of my friends Joe had it, and I and I remember even he being disappointed. I'm like, "But, but we love the Ninja Turtles, and this is cool because this is something that we've not seen before. We're gonna get this down res port of the of the arcade version later, which is great. But what's wrong with this? Yeah, I liked it. It's really hard and very difficult. Yeah, it fresh. There's like that part where you have to swim through like the underwater yes. electric thing that everyone hates. That Everybody. I think is like not that hard. Like I think everyone needs to relax a little right. bit. Like it really isn't that difficult. So. I wanted to just give a quick shout out to that game because great call. It's a good pull. I really feel like that game still suffers from the original, the feelings that everyone had about it in the, in the beginning. Yeah. I think people, kids thought it was really difficult. And one of the first pan, one of the first panned games by James, by AVGN. So, you know, he gave that game a lot of shit as well, you know, but yeah, I like that game. It is broken in a sense, but it was really inventive. Again, it had the top, you had the map, you know, the top, down map screen we had to explore a little bit you had to the turtles had different assets as far as at least the strength and the reach of their weapons you had to toggle between turtles to make sure you know if a turtle got low you wanted to get him off because you didn't want him to die right Once he died, died you had were... to find him right he was captured you had to find him so you have to feed pizza strategically to keep your keep your guys alive and you know i would throw raf into the swimming scene because he was he his reach wasn't effective so it's like all right make raf do the swimming scene he's gonna be really low on energy by the time this is done because it was all about leo and donnie in that game you know especially donnie you needed his bow yeah because he could stand on like a platform above and like and hit downward yeah but i I liked it it is difficult but yeah great game again i'm not making the claim that it's fantastic i just think that it's it's underrated i just feel like it's it's, i agree with you it's like much maligned game yeah i agree with that that one for sure i have let's see two more faxanadu a hudson soft game I want to give a shout out to Faxanadu because I think that this game I think is just obscure. I don't I don't know that people necessarily don't like it. I think that just no one knows what it is. It's F A X A N A D U, yeah. which is uh, putting Famicom and Xanadu together, and it's this uh, this this fantasy themed action RPG. And I really feel like because of when it came out, it, it came out in '87 in Japan, and it didn't come out to the states until '89. Oh, so it's it's a somewhat early to mid Famicom release, really more an early Famicom release. So we didn't have the we didn't have the knowledge of what Zelda Two would be. But there's actually a lot of Zelda Two in this game, whether regardless of which came first. It does feel like that, and it's it's open. It's somewhat mysterious. It reminds me of Rygar in a way where it's it in um which I don't like Rygar. But no. it, it reminds me. It reminds me of Rygar in the like in the aesthetic. You're in the trees. You're in the the caverns. There's a lot of uh, verticality. There's a non-linear nature to the game. And then, but then there are these towns where you buy things, and it's just like kind of a plotting sort of thoughtful game. I I, I like Faxanadu. Yeah, an action adventure game. You know what's funny about that game, Kyle? I never liked it. It was one of those games that 
I did rent from the video store, one of the videos. So I don't know if it was Showtime or a different one. It was probably one of those games I had to rent a few times to beat. And I did. I beat it all the way through. There was something about the aesthetic of that game. It has a very muted, like, earth tone, almost feels dirty aesthetic to it that just, for some reason, I just... And somebody might have said it. One of the big YouTubers might have said it. might have been Derek Alexander or one of those guys. Actually said it like it felt to him, too, like it was, like, dirty and gritty, you know, but it is atmospheric. It is atmospheric, and it deals with a very fantasy RPG-ish elements with dwarves and elves and swords and upgrading your weapons and armor and stuff like that. But yeah, that was the thing I didn't like about it. I don't know if it was the select because it's funny because it, uh, Zelda Two isn't a colorful game either, but that didn't resonate with me the same way and in, in an adverse way. Yeah, facts I don't do. I, I was just like, I don't know. This game, it's it's something about it. You know, maybe it's that you don't know enough about the hero. It's very, it's it is. It's obscure. Well, it comes you know? from that era where you really got everything out of the instruction manual right. at best. Whatever, or just whatever made you shit up. Yeah, whatever info you could glean was out of the instruction manual yeah. if Nintendo Power said any, anything. Right. I don't it. even remember. I think I want to say Faxanadu. There might have been a Nintendo Power cover for Faxanadu, but I don't know that for sure. There might have been actually. But, I thought Nintendo had. Was it a Hudson Soft game? Yeah, Hudson did that game. I don't know. I, th- I don't know. But I think Hudson published it. But I, I, I but they Nintendo had something to do with that game. Nintendo itself had something to do with that game. But I could be wrong. I could be wrong. Maybe it's not a Hudson game. I think it is though. But too brown. That's what I'm going to say about it. Well, but, I remember the, the and beige. Yeah. Well, the, the even the box art was uh was like pink or not even pink but like peach or something. I think. Yes, that's probably right. I'll yeah. say too peach. Yeah. Yeah. Peach. <laughs> yeah. There you go. <laughs> And the final one, which I was impressed that you even knew this game. You knew it just from the music because I was watching videos of it, was a Ar- Arquista's Ring, mm. which is an American Sammy game. I, I think a deeply obscured NES game. I don't think it was even released anywhere outside of North America. I think it was developed here, and I think it was released here only. I heard about it two years ago, maybe. And my story time. with Arquista's Ring, dude, is that never heard of it. And then in my senior year in college, I lived with this guy named Pablo. And one of our roommates, uh, or one of his friends, rather, left like his, t- I think I mentioned the top loader that this you guy did. had. Yeah. And he left a shit ton of games. And that was I, one of them. And and yeah, and that was one of them. Oh, wow. And I actually it's funny because I, w- I offered him, you know, I don't know how much I was like, I'll buy this top loader and all these games from you. Yeah. Even though I had half the games in my own collection, I just I would resell them. It wasn't really like trying to take advantage of anyone. It was just like, you don't care about this and I'll give you a few hundred dollars for all this. Right. Exactly. And but ah, then but then I actually got my job at IGN. We never worked it out. And then I never heard from that guy ever again. <laughs> So he had all this weird stuff. He had the Mario games and Mega Man's and Castlevania. So I was like really into this collection that this guy had. But Arquesis Ring was one of them in there. And I'm like, I have no idea what this is. I've never even heard of this game. And I didn't even look it up. I just I put it in and I'm like, wow, this game is really cool. And it's what what it basically is is almost a stage-based Zelda. So think of Zelda's one Zelda's one's combat. It's clearly inspired by Zelda. And instead of like having an open world and an adventure, you're basically like just trying to clear sections and then go on to the next section. And you have like, you know, hearts and you have like items that you draw into the next. You can like have a certain amount of items in your pouch. And the enemies are kind of, you know, very uh, swords and sorcery kind of enemies. You're a little elven gal with a bow, right? Is exactly. That, yeah. And you're fighting with a bow. I haven't and played this game yet. It's The funny thing about it is that there was this weird just, you know, piece of time. Right, right when I was graduating college, right before I got my job over from IGN, I was about to start grad school. And... I wrote this random FAQ on GameFAQs on my old account. So all my stuff from GameFAQs is from like 99 through 2002 or something like that. Okay. And then I went back and I wrote this Warp Whistle FAQ for Mario 3. Okay, you go. So I just made these like ASCII maps for Mario 3. And I was like, what's the next game that I'm going to write a guide for? And thinking that thinking that I'll just do this on the side for fun. Like yeah. I'm bored. I'm stoned probably. Yeah, yeah. 
you know, I, I have a lot of time to kill and I'm waiting for grad school to start and all this. And, and, uh, Arquista's ring was the game I was writing an FAQ for. And I still have this incomplete. Wow. FAQ with all these maps and shit Holy that I was cow. making for Arquista's ring. Cause no one was really covering it. And I was yeah. like, no one's going to read this, but it's just a cool thing to, to do and have. So that's kind of like my weird connection to that game is that that was like, when I got my job offer from IGN, I just packed up and left. And that wow. was like, I left this incomplete FAQ for Arquista's ring behind. I'm impressed. Did you, oh, you didn't get all the way through the game? No, no, well, no, I beat it my own, but then, you know, you go back and start writing for it. I, so I, I was making these like really meticulous ASCII maps of the, of the, the terrain since it's like this, I think you can move left and right in terms of like scanning the, the game, but yeah. it's really more of a vertical game. Yeah. As I remember. Yeah. And so, and I don't mean vertical about climbing platforms. I mean, like you're moving up, you the move screen. up. So that's like kind of this weird thing I have. And I think that like on two or three laptops ago, this, there's this document for that. That's game. amazing. There's like a hundred levels in that game, right? Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. That's amazing. And so that was my I'm familiarity impressed. with Arquista's ring. And I, I, I really think that that game is great. Like I, 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 I got to get that one. I know we're talking about a boy and his blob and Fester's quest is games of dubious and even facts. do games of dubious quality in some yeah. way that are still underrated by the norms of the time. And I think the norms of today. Yeah. But I think Arquista's ring is an authentically great game. Yeah. It's a good call. That's a good pull. So that's kind of like my, the last one I wanted to throw in there. And Very I think nice. we could, I think we could probably even do another one of these episodes again. Cause there, there, I had to really narrow it down. I wanted to make sure that I wasn't, and I don't know how the audience feels about this. You can let us know, but I, yeah. I, I wanted to make sure that I wasn't layering just really obscure shit, which is why I wanted to have the more Mario, Zelda, Castlevania touchstones for people. And I also think that those games are chronically underrated. Well, we had a good scope in there, I think. I think we had a good scope in there. I just want to mention also Jackal. I know it gets a lot more love than it did now, but than it did in the past, rather. But Jackal is such a good game and so inexpensive to buy still. That's probably the most entertaining game for me. Yeah, you love that game. Uh, it's so good. Like, it's such a great game. You know, you just take control. It's based on the arcade Top Gunner. It's a little different. They changed it for the NES port. But, you know, you just take control of the Jeep. You could have a friend be the other Jeep. And you just, it's a its a vertically scrolling, you know, you, you scroll. It's not, you know, it's not on rails. And you scroll the screen up and there's a boss fight at the end of every level. I believe it's six levels. It's so playable and replayable. Just a brilliant game. Like, you, if you spent $60 on that in 1987 or whatever it came out, you were satisfied. That was like the best $60 you ever spent. You know, of, of course, a lot's been said about Life Force and Contra, but Jackal should be included in that conversation. That game is that fun, you know? It's that fun. And if I have time, do I have time for one more thing? No, you thing? have time. I mean, this can okay. go as long as you want. Yeah, please. Um, well, there's one game I want to talk about that I actually don't own yet, but really piqued my interest when I found out about it, and it's Worm Journey to the Center of the Earth. I don't know anything about that. A really obscure game. It was developed by Cyclone, Cyclone Systems, and actually in... Uh, um, put out by Asmic in the United States. I think Sofell in Japan. But just a re- looks very, just in watching people review it online, it looks like a very ambitious game as far as scope. It There's like four or five different, it goes from a side-scroller, side-scrolling like beat-em-up to like a horizontal shooter to first-person shooter. And it looks, it has a very anime flavor to it. You could see it was apported from a, a Famicom game. Which kind of stood out back then. It's like, you know, you play as a heroine. She's got, she almost looks like Samus without the armor. She's got like the green hair and like the jumpsuit with the robotic elements and like the, the rabbit ears. You know what I mean? Like it's very um, like the walkie talkie type thing. It has a very Japanese flavor to it, but it looks really cool. I can't believe the scope that they put into this game. Like the, what they tried to accomplish in an NES game looks pretty, pretty fantastic. And the other game I wanted to mention that unfortunately never came to the United States, but it's just beautiful. If you want, 
It's another Konami shooter that for some reason they never ported here, and it's called Crisis Force. And it's a, I think, I don't know if it's like Life Force and if it, go, if it toggles back and forth between horizontal and vertical sc- scrolling shooter. It might just be a vertically scrolling shooter. Um, you're a spaceship, but the thing, the music is unbelievable, and the graphics almost look like it could be an, any, uh, an SNES game. They really should have ported it here. Almost like a Life Force, but on steroids. But I think, I believe there's a mechanic in it where both spaceships, you know, if you're playing two-player, both spaceships could merge, and then one player takes control of it, and you're super powered up. Really inventive mechanic. Sure. That's one of the games I lament, and it's super expensive to buy. The Famicom version, unfortunately, is very expensive to buy. But really, uh, one of those games where I'm like, oh, wow, that should have came out to North America. We would, that would have done well, you know, seems like. So that yeah, for me that's uh, that, like you said, you could probably do a whole another episode talking about underrated, um, not only the games but I think underrated developers too, you know. Uh, you know what I found out? Vic Tokai is still around. They're making. Games they're still. still they, I don't know if they're making games. They're called Tokai Communications. I think in 2011 they changed from Vic Tokai to Tokai Tokai Communications, but that was cool. That was cool to find out. You well, know. it's just so funny, man, because the the we see. I think we get a little, we have a little more understanding of where, how these companies morphed in Japan over time, through looking at Konami and how you know Konami much more prolific than Vic Tokai or Sunsoft or something like that. And how do these like? It's like how do these companies still exist but not make games anymore? And it's like because they're just diversified companies. Like you know, Konami makes all their money now in in health spas and shit, pachinko machines, pachinko machines. So. Yeah. So it wouldn't be a huge surprise, I guess, that these companies live on. And that's why I was so surprised when Blaster Ma- that new Blaster Master came out a few years ago that Sunsoft, that, I think Sunsoft's name was on that game. All right, good. That's good. I like to hear that. I don't I don't know that they internally developed it, but they certainly, and they might not even publish it, but they certainly own the I like IP that. still. Someone still owns Sunsoft. Okay. So you you could see them having to diversify, but if they're still around, that that makes me feel good. But in terms of Sunsoft, if ever, you know, listeners out there, you got to play the Batman game. Oh, it's so good. There's a second Batman game as well that I never played. I didn't I didn't even know that. Yeah. Return of Joker, is it called? It's by Sunsoft as well? I believe it's oh, Sunsoft. Man. I believe it's Sunsoft. That's exciting. Don't quote me. Do you have Batman? Yes. The first Batman? Yeah. The Sun- yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's a great game. Difficult. That's a great play. That's one of those games that's satisfying. That's one of those games that the more you play, great speedrun game, because you're controlling the time and... It's not broken. That game is obsessively not broken. It's just difficult. But once you learn it, you can get better and better at it because it, you know, it's everything's there. It's just, it's pure memorization and you know just getting adept at playing it. You know that's that's a really that's a that's a one of the great NES games for sure. That's what I hate when people are like you know license license games always suck and I'm like they typically suck. But I think one of the great you know Batman on NES is probably top certainly top twenty. Yeah, maybe, I would put it in maybe there. maybe even a little higher than that. I would definitely put it, and in that's top a licensed game. Yeah, so. true, good point. Yeah. Well, Dagan, that was a fun episode to record. I had. A I hope you all blast. enjoyed it out there. Please give us a, your feedback as always. Uh, Patreon, Twitter, whatever you want to do, we'll, we'll be reading it. Remember, you can follow us on social media. I'm on Twitter at No Taxation and Instagram at CLS Moriarty. Dagan is on Twitter at Dagan 1973 and on Instagram at Dagan Likes to Draw. Nice. We appreciate your time. We appreciate your support. Please consider supporting us on Patreon at patreon.com slash Collins Last Stand if you want uh, early access to the show, uh, you want some special perks, voting rights, and all that kind of stuff, Q&As, producer credits, etc. We really do need your support over there. So if you like the show and like what we're doing and you have a few bucks, please do consider tossing those bucks to us. We'll see you next time for more Collins Last Stand knockback. Au revoir.
Collins Last Stand Knockback is fan-supported over at patreon.com slash Stand. The following names are at the producer level or higher on Patreon, and I want to thank you from the very bottom of my heart for your incredible kindness and generosity. Ahmed Alloways, Martin Beck, Fred Bentz, David Blodel, Mark Boggio, Spencer Bran, Isaac Brewer, Lennon Brixey, Josh Bushing, Austin Bullock, Andrew Burkhart, John Burry, Alex Cabrera, Will Caldwell, Luis Cancado, Max Cannon, Matthew Canoy, Cesar Cardoso, Shermer Carter, William Cashel, Enrique Cezina, Jay Shandarlis, Travis Chandler, Sean Chandler, Kenneth Char, David Chestnut, Benjamin Clark, Dan Clifford, Simon Conception Jr., Brad Cooley, Nick Cummings, Will Curry, Daniel D'Amour, Daniel Delanikos, Luke Drake, Travis Ellison, David Ellis, Eric Finkenbeiner, Michael Fior, James Fitzpatrick, Mike Francis, Alexander Gates, Michael Gates, Daniel Glassford, Ben Gluckman, Tyler Goodwin, David Gurley, Ryan Greenwood, Miranda Grubba, Andres Guzman, Tyler Harris, Christopher Hendricks, Wyatt Henry, Andrew Hess, Jordan Hood, Joshua Hunt, Steve Innerfield, Stephen Insler, Josh Yeager, Paul Joyce, Jeremy Key, Nathaniel Khalil, Donald Laws, Joe Lawson, Juan Lesh, Don Q. Lee, Patrick Leslie, Keith Adrian Lewis, Chad Lewis, Lou and Ray Loper, Josh M., Ryan T. Mandel, John McManus, Devin McMasters, Joe McPartland, Albert Miranda, Mad Mock Media, Alex Moans, Betty Ann Moriarty, Gilliam Mueller, Connor Nesbitt, Josh Netzel, Adam Nixch, Andrew O., Brian Ott, Jorge Palomino, Reed K. Parker, Todd Paxton, Brendan Peavy, Marius Scarson Peterson, Enrique Perez, Jason Pettit, Christian Phillips, Lawrence F. Prokop, Eric R. Pryor, John Quinn, Daxus Rana, Ryan Reeves, Michael Renner, Alex Reyes, Peter Reynolds, Shane Rayum, Jonathan Rice, Austin Riley, Ryan Robertson, Ramon Rodriguez Jr., Petro Rose, A.G. Rowe, Michael Sanchez, Matthew Savoy, James Schmetz, James Schubert, John Schultz, Chris Schaefer, Mike Shaw, Ray Ann Shinabarger, Toby Schutman, German Sidhu, Alex Simmons, Riley Smith, Jordan Smith, Jared Stuave, Alexander Suarez, Ahmed Tamar, Tam Tran, Oakley Waldron, Justin Wagaman, Chris Wong, Aaron Watts, Michael Wells, Payne White, Tyler Woodall, Benjamin Worrell, Corey Wyatt, James Zimmerman, Steven Sinchevsky, Tony Zuniga, Casual Misfits Gaming, Barrick, Mubarak, Tynamite, Bowen76, Chris, and Donk2015.